continue now with our scripture reading. Our first scripture is found in Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 to 4 and 14 through 18. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interest of others. Do everything without complaining or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God, without fault in a crooked and depraved generation, in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life, in order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor for nothing. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our gospel reading is found in the gospel of Mark chapter 10, verses 35 to 45. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right hand, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you are asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right, right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Hello, everyone. God's grace and his mercy and peace be with us today as we talk about joy, and specifically the, the joy of sacrifice. If you had to pick the most joy-filled creature that the Lord has ever created, which one, which one would you choose? Well, when I was 10 years old, I got lost at the St. Louis Zoo. Now you say, well, how did that happen? I was mesmerized by the otter exhibit. Yes, otters are blamed for my being lost. Otters seem to know a lot about joy. Uh, every dip and swirl and, and slide exude joy. And when you watch them, there seems to be no threat of tomorrow or last week or even of a virus. Only a playful, joyful presence. Those slick little brown bolts of energy just slithering through the water. 
And I was having so much fun watching them that I, that I didn't realize that the rest of the group left and there I was. And when I turned around, they were gone and I couldn't find them. Pure magnetic joy. Now, you don't see that very much today, do you? Well, except in otters. You certainly don't find a lot of joy in the news. And unfortunately, it's not in many churches either. Have you noticed the look on the average live stream worshiper lately? <laughs> Maybe it's a good thing we can't see each other. <laughs> One word comes to mind, though, when many people look at Christians and describe us, and that word is grim. So often, uh, others in the world look at us and they, they see overcast faces with whose forecast is for dreary or mildly depressing days with little or no chance of joy and laughter. But let's be honest, it's not just us as Christians. Our world is a world full of long faces, especially right now in the COVID pandemic as it seems to hang on. And Big Ten football has been canceled and the impending onslaught of political ads leading up to the fall elections, it's so imminent. So many people have aching hearts and are crying out for a morsel of joy and a crumb of encouragement. Well, this summer we're taking a look at the New Testament book of Philippians, Paul's letter to, to the people, the Christians at Philippi. And it's often called the epistle of joy. Why? Because in those four short chapters, 16 times the apostle uses the word for joy or rejoice. And this is in spite of him writing this from prison in Rome. And you say, well, how can we, how can I tap into that kind of joy? The kind of joy that makes our Christian faith, as we will see in our text today, shine like a star in the universe. Well, I can tell you from firsthand experience that the otters are not telling us. Well, let's get into that second chapter. And as we do, we see that real and lasting joy, again, is a gift from God. It comes through our relationship with Jesus Christ. Because when you know that your, your sins are forgiven, when you know that you have an eternal future ahead of you, when you know that nothing's ever going to separate you from God's love, it results in joy. It's one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit. And so together we are filled with, with God's love and joy as we, as we live out our faith. Last week we saw how that joy comes in the partnership that we have with one another in the gospel. And today we're going to find out that, that the full expression of, of joy is demonstrated not in just getting and grabbing and, and, and holding on to the things of this earth. No, true joy in the Lord is as God touches our hearts when we understand that as Jesus has put us first, now we can put others first, that we can give of ourselves, of our time, of our efforts, even of our, of our money. Well, God opens our hearts and lives to find that that's a secret in life to experiencing true joy when we open up our hands and our hearts to be unselfish and giving to others. In fact, it was Jesus himself who revealed this to the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 20, verse 35, when he says, it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. Another word for this is sacrifice. 
In our text for today, the Apostle Paul points to the sacrifice of the Son of God, who even though he had it made as true God, what did he do? He says he made himself to be nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. Now that's sacrifice. Hebrews 12, 2 says, Let us fix our eyes then on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Now, sacrifice for Jesus was not a burden. It says here that it was a joy. How could it be a joy? As Jesus sacrificially gave himself for us, he saw the joy in accomplishing the mission that his Father had given him to bring us, bring all of humanity back to himself. Now the Apostle looks at, at those of whom he's writing to and he says, now I want you to make my joy complete. What would complete the Apostle Paul's joy? What would bring us joy? Under the Holy Spirit, he says, just be like Jesus. Your attitude in verse 5 should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. As a follower of Jesus Christ, his presence empowers us to be like him so that now we are called to put others first because he put us first. In Romans 12 verse 1 we read how in view of God's mercy now offer yourselves as a living sacrifice. You see Jesus loves us and he sacrificed himself for us so that now as his redeemed children we live sacrificially as we offer ourselves back to him but especially back to other people. Now, in writing here to the Philippians, Paul doesn't just set that goal before us to be like Jesus under the Holy Spirit, but he also gives us some very practical advice on how this can happen, how we can live joyfully and sacrificially like Jesus. In verses 3 and 4, we read, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. The first thing we see here is never let selfishness or conceit be your motive. He says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. And I don't know about you, but by nature... I'm always looking at other people a lot of times by, by how they're going to benefit me. That's the way we're wired. That's our human nature, sinful. The Lord here helps us to see that because he loves us, now instead of asking, What's, how, can they, how can I use them? How can I use him or her? We ask now, what can I do to help him or her? The second thing here is regard others as more important than yourselves. He says, but in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Now that's a tough one. It goes against everything that we're taught in this world. I don't know, you know when I was playing sports on a team or whether it was an individual sport, uh, coaches would say, you have to have a mental attitude which says you're better than them. You're stronger than them. You're more skilled to them. That's the only way you're going to beat them. Well, Maybe that's true in sports, but in life, that's not the way that God considers that we should be. Count others better than yourself. The third thing we see here is don't just look out for your own interests. 
Each of you should not look only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. And here we've got that, again, that we factor, that it's not just about me, that God has placed me here to look out for other people. The fourth thing, the fourth practical thing here that we see from the Apostle Paul under the Holy Spirit is watch your attitude. Here later in our text in verse 14, Paul warns against a bad attitude which often reveals itself, he says, in two ways. In complaining and arguing. Do everything without complaining or arguing. Oh, we're good at complaining, aren't we? It just seems like it's really hard to be content, isn't it? Because there's always something more that we want. And we start comparing ourselves with other people. And we think, well, God, you cheated me once again. Complain. In fact, many translations have the word here as grumble. The Greek word here is ganguzman. Now that even sounds bad, doesn't it? To grumble, grumble, grumble. And the other thing that really pollutes our attitude, it says, he says, is arguing. Majoring in minors. Sweating the small stuff. Declaring your opinion on things that aren't really that important. But in the end offends others and it causes abrasion and it causes arguments and I don't know about you but complaining and arguing just seem to can sap the joy right out, right out of me it pulls me down and these are things that Jesus never did what Christ did do is that he put people first above himself he did nothing out of selfish ambition but again he humbled himself he counted others so important that he sacrificed himself on the cross, looking out for the eternal salvation for the entire world to those who trust him. Well, what's the result of all this? Our text says that as we live out our faith and as we follow Christ and his example, we show ourselves to be blameless. Again, not because anything that we've done, but because of what God has done for us in Christ. It says, We live as children of God without fault then in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like a star in the universe. It's amazing how God can use your servant heart to make an impact on this world of ours. That we live as we shine for Jesus in, we, in giving ourselves and sacrificing ourselves to others. There have been so many examples of people giving themselves sacrificially in the history of our country. And, and I'm sure you've known some of these stories. But one such incident that I remember happened early on in my ministry in January of 1982 on a dreadful snowy day in our nation's capital. Air Flight Florida 90, Air Florida Flight 90, had just taken off from Washington National Airport. Today it's called Reagan National. And uh, because there was icing on the wings, it didn't get proper lift, and it crashed right into the P Potomac River after hitting the 14th Street Bridge. One of the survivors in the water was a guy by the name of Arlen D. Williams, Jr. And his story brought about an emotional impact for our nation. In fact, the news cameras that were watching the rescue efforts, both from the air helicopters, but also from the shoreline of the river, uh, simply knew him as the man in the water. Balding, 
probably in his 50s with a big mustache, Arlen was seen clinging with five other survivors to the tail of the airplane. He was described by, park by a park helicopter team as alert and in control. And yet every time the lifeline, the flotation ring, was lowered down to him, he passed it on to another person. After rescuing the other five passengers that were still alive, when the helicopter came back for him for one last time, he was gone. His selflessness and sacrifice were one reason that the story held such national attention. You see, at some moment in the water, Arlen must have realized that he was not going to live if he continued to hand over the rope and the ring to other people. And yet he made the sacrificial choice to put others first. When the helicopter took off with what was to be the last survivor, Arlen watched everything in his world move away from him. And he deliberately let it happen. I'm not sure I could have done that costly sacrifice powerfully portrays another, the sacrifice of the sinless Son of God. Because Jesus Christ made the sacrificial choice to put you first. As his betrayer Judas took off, as the disciples fled in the garden, he watched everything in his world move away from him and he deliberately let it happen. That's what Christ did for you. And he did it for the joy that was set before him because he loves you and he wanted you to be with him for eternity. In the end, I truly hope that each of us will be able to look back on our lives with a smile, with joy, and know that somewhere along the line, we've made a difference. Whether it was sacrificing your time to, to help kids now do their homework with all their virtual assignments, or whether it's encouraging some person that, that is so nervous and, and, and so worried about what's happening in our country, that you remind them that God is in control and that, that you pray with them. Whatever we are doing for other people, in the end, we praise God for the joy and the privilege that we have to be able to be used as his instruments to bring caring love to other people in his name. The Apostle Paul, as he looks back on his life, he writes from prison, he says, even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and I rejoice with all of you. Paul repeatedly looked back on his joy-filled service and sacrifice to others and he calls it a drink offering. He does the same thing in his letter to Timothy. And you say, well, well, what is a drink offering? Well, most believe he's talking here about what happened in the temple in Jerusalem when sacrifices were made. An animal was sacrificed on the altar and it was burned and that sacrifice would smell. Burning flesh of an animal does that. Most likely it was a lot different though than the steak that you smell when your neighbor's barbecuing. Later in his book, Paul refers to those giving of themselves, in fact, as a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice. And so what was that all about, this drink offering? The drink offering was usually a libation of wine or olive oil that would be poured over the sacrifice 
and added to it so that the smell would then be sweet. It would not be pungent or grotesque. Friends, that's what we are. We are a drink offering, a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And when we joyfully put others first, because Jesus put us first, not only do we then shine like stars in the universe, but our lives become a sweet-smelling witness to the world, which so needs it. In the end, just like Paul, we want to be able to see that Jesus Christ and His presence and His joy has added to our lives so that now as children of God, we now are able to joyfully give ourselves to others. In fact, the last verse of this section says, I am glad and rejoice with all of you, so you too should rejoice and be glad with me. And so my prayer for you is that the sweet-smelling sacrifices of love and service to others give you a real and a lasting joy as you put others first because Jesus put you first. Amen.